how would you feel if after church today you got back home and some of your friends just happened to turn up on the off chance that you were in? They just stopped by and you were ready getting your lunch and I wonder what thoughts go through your mind. These are some that you might have. I'm hungry, but I can't possibly eat until they leave. Or you might think, I'm going to eat, I want to eat, what do I have that I can offer them? You might be thinking, why didn't they let me know that they might pop by? How long are they going to be staying? What else am I going to have to offer them? Or you might be more gracious and have happy thoughts about inviting them in, knowing that somehow you'll scrape something together and you're delighted that they could stop by, that you get to share your time with them. I wonder whether you are in one camp or the other or whether you're a combination of all of those. See, Abraham's response to seeing strangers in the heat of the day was to jump up and invite them to have a drink. He was willing to wash their feet and to have a morsel of bread. He wanted to give them some food. But he ends up laying on a lavish feast, killing a choice calf and getting Sarah to make bread of the finest flour. And we ask ourselves, is this just normal hospitality of the time? And and it might well be to an extent. I lived for a time in Central Asia and hospitality was a big thing there. If you just popped around somewhere, tea was automatically produced and just poured constantly into the little bowls that you drank out of. Bowls of biscuits and nuts and sweets would just suddenly appear around you. You just popped in to say hello and you get given a feast. And that was when you weren't expecting to be fed. When you were expecting to be fed, there would be a tablecloth laid out with bread and fresh fruit. Again, bowls of nuts and sweets and biscuits. Little white golf-sized ball things that don't pop them in your mouth all at once because it's really sour and salty and made of sheep's curd. Warning, don't try it. There was little fried donut breads that are called Bawasach. There was loads and loads of things, salads, multiple different salads, some with heaps of mayonnaise, some with a little bit of spice, lots and lots of food. You think that was the main course? No. That was just the beginning. Then a big main course is brought out, plates of the national dish, which in this case was sort of sheets of lasagna is the best I can describe it for us. Sheets of cooked lasagna with onion broth, chunks of carrot, potato, and meat. That is hospitality. And then weddings and New Year is like another level. It was first in Kazakhstan that I had caviar. Like, this is a poor country, and yet hospitality and hosting and feeding their guests was massive. But even there, they would have not run around in the heat of the day to welcome guests. It got really hot in Kazakhstan. There's extreme temperatures. In the winter, it could get down to sort of minus 25 where I lived. In the summer, it could go up to plus 40 degrees Celsius. Massive difference in heat. But in the summer, the best thing you could do in the heat of the day was to rest under some shade, to find a tree or inside or shelter. You wouldn't be jumping up like Abraham did. See, I think it wasn't just hospitality and welcoming strangers that was going on here. We're told in verse 1 that the Lord appeared to Abraham at the trees of Mamre. 
We're already told that it's the Lord, but some commentators sort of think, well, did Abraham know straight away? Why would you offer food to God? But there was something that he recognized that pushed him to a next level of hospitality. He started out offering water and a little bit of food, and it turned into a lavish feast. Somewhere along the way, he realized that there was something divine about these visitors. Not only had they just suddenly appeared, which in verse 2, and he looked up and they were there, but there was something about them, something about them that made him bow to the ground before them. He thought that there was something divine going on, and it offered him to prompt even more hospitality. Some commentators believe, and there's massive discussions about who these three people were, some say that it's three angels that came. Some say it was two angels and, and maybe the Lord in a human form. Some allude to it being a revelation of God's Trinitarian nature, God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't totally know who these visitors were, but what we do know is that there was something about them. And then later, the Lord spoke as one of them or through them. And that's what's the important part of this story, is that through this act of hospitality, it led to an encounter with God. See, in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews writes this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And it's possibility, possibly this act in of Abraham that led to the writer reflecting on these, with these words. I wonder, does that change our outlook on hospitality? Does it affect how we would receive those friends who turn up out of the blue after church today? I'm not suggesting we all do that to each other. Um, but does it affect how we would approach that? Does it make us think, I've never thought about that before, that how I welcome somebody reflects something of my love for God or my knowledge of him or my care for his world. It's been quite hard doing hospitality in the last couple of years, hasn't it, with the restrictions of COVID. And I don't know about you, but I think I've lost a bit of that habit um, with the anxieties that were associated with us mixing and, and hosting. But this passage made me reflect on that there's something actually quite special maybe even sacred and holy about offering hospitality, not begrudgingly, because it's something all we've got to do, but because there's something in the hospitality that reflects God's love for us. I want to suggest that Abraham's actions were more than just a showing of hospitality, that his hospitality, to a degree, became an act of worship. And I think there are three signs of this. First, we see that he bows down before them, low to the ground. Some translations say even with his face touching the ground. See, Abraham, in the previous chapter, in chapter 17, when he encounters God again, and there are more promises given him of confirming what God has been saying through this walk we've done in Abraham's journey, Abraham adopts this position before God, bowing down before him on the ground. 
It's a position that other characters in the Bible adopt before God, lying prostrate before him in worship and surrender. And it's this position that's happening here to these three strangers. He bows down. There is something of the divine in who he is welcoming. And there is something that's causing him to offer his worship. This position is a position of powerlessness, of surrender, and one writer calls it the ultimate gesture of submission and worship. So he bows down before them. Secondly, worship's hinted at in the food that he serves them. So initially he offers just a scrap of bread, just some food, but then he rushes off. There's a lot of rushing in this chapter. He rushes off in the heat of the day, kills the choice calf. He rushes and asks Sarah to make bread of the finest flour, these foods are foods that are associated later on um, in the Bible in Leviticus in the different offerings of worship to God and different sacrifices. These are foods of worship. And thirdly, he serves them himself. He had servants that could serve them. They could, he could, they, he had, oh, put my teeth back in. He had servants that could have served him while he sat and ate with them. But instead, he serves them, and we see that he waits by a tree. He stood nearby under a tree as they ate. In the New Testament, the book of Peter talks about how love and service are acts of worship, of recognizing God and offering him our worship through acts of service and love. He writes this, Above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to reserve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Have we ever considered the act of hospitality being a form of worship, of honouring God? That our acts of serving one another, both in church and out of church, are part of our worship offering to our God? How might we get involved in different ways of serving our community and serving one another, of welcoming strangers, of welcoming each other, that honours and glorifies God by doing so? You see, Abraham's act of hospitality became an act of worship and led to a further encounter with God. His recognition whether it was instant or whether it was through the encounter, led to an encounter not solely for the benefit of him himself, but for Sarah. See, through the conversation that happens between the visitors and Abraham, it is Sarah whose faith is being stretched, whose faith is being explored, who's being challenged and encouraged by the encounter that's happening. You see, the visitors eat. Abraham's standing in the corner. Sarah's probably tidying up after making all this bread and running around like a mad woman. 
And yet, this then happens where the visitor says, where is your wife, Sarah? This is God. It's not like he didn't know. And there's a similar kind of echoing between phrases in the Bible when God asks Adam and Eve after the fall, where are you? And of Cain after he killed his brother, where is Abel? You see, God knew in both cases the answer to that question. But the inclusion of this question is not about the question being asked, but it's about the person doing the asking and the person it's being asked of. Have you ever been in a room where there are lots of conversations going on and you're engaged in a conversation and then suddenly you hear your name? Who admits to then not being in the conversation they're in but listening out to what's happening in the other conversation? I'm glad there are hands. I would admit that. You can't help it, can you, sometimes? You hear your name, your ears prick up, and you want to know what's being said. I imagine this might have been what was happening for Sarah. She heard her name, and then she paid attention. We read in the, in the sort of the next verse that she then was listening at the door of the tent behind the visitors. Imagine for a moment that you are Sarah. You've been rushing back and forth. You've been making bread in the heat of the day. Abraham served your guests. You've heard your name, and you're intrigued by what's being said. And then you think, well, how did the visitor know my name? Then you think, oh, who are these people? Then you hear the promise again that you're going to have a son, the one you've been hearing for over two decades. And you hear that it's going to happen next year, and I wonder how you would have responded. See, Sarah's reaction of laughing and seeming that it was impossible is because it's been a long time since that first promise. She shows her doubts as to God's power. It's been 25 years since that first promise of God to Abraham that they will become a great nation and that it will be through Sarah that that happens. See, she tried, didn't she? She tried with Hagar to have sons that way. But God was like, no, it's through Sarah that this will happen. They were promised that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as much as the grains of sand in the earth, as many as the dust. She'd heard it before. She's been told again she's going to have a son, but it's impossible. I mean, before they were old, before she couldn't really conceive a child, but now even more, she's past childbearing. I mean, she's gone through the menopause. It's impossible. There's no way she can have a child. And so she laughs at the sheer impossibility of it all. And we might think it's a bit, um, a bit tough of, of, of this Lord to, to say, well, why did you laugh? And to almost call her out on it. And her response of, I didn't. And he's like, you did. You might think that's harsh. But actually, it brought her forward to another place to know that this Lord, that she couldn't even see her because she was behind him, knew all about her doubts and her fears and what she was feeling and going through and experiencing. See, we might come across people that are going through similar doubts and struggles in life and our hospitality and welcome and our showing our faith and love of God and strengthening those around us, I think is something we can be called to do and be involved with. See, in this encounter for Sarah, the Lord said to her, Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
to show you that it's not, by this time next year, you will have a son. I wonder if there are current things that you think are just impossible. Maybe it's a dream you once had that hasn't come about to anything. Maybe it's a situation at work, a health issue. Maybe you desperately want to know God, that there's something in your life that just needs his presence to be with you. That sometimes it can feel utterly hopeless and impossible. And these are times when we turn to prayer, when we turn to God in those impossible situations, crying out to him. And sometimes there doesn't seem to be any immediate answer or solution. And it can be really challenging. And it does test our faith, like Sarah's faith was tested. And it might make us wonder whether God even heard our prayer in the first place, whether he's even able to do it. But in this instance, the provision came at a time that would show God's ultimate power. It definitely was impossible in our human standards, but in God, for God, it was completely a possible thing to happen. Nothing is impossible with God. He has the power. That is who we are worshipping with our hospitality and our welcoming of each other, of strangers into our homes and into our lives that we can show them this God who is powerful. See, Abraham's act of hospitality became an act of worship, which led to an encounter with God, the God that is all-powerful and for whom nothing is impossible. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her of the birth of Jesus, the Son of God who was going to save the whole world from their sins and reunite us all with God, for now and eternity. He uses the same words. Nothing is impossible with God. Perseverance in prayer in our most desperate times is a challenge. But let's keep persevering. See, this story of Abraham welcoming strangers is more than it first seems. Welcoming strangers doesn't just benefit the strangers, but transforms us too, becoming more like Christ who welcomed all into his family. It's an act of worship that shows our love for God and the love that God has for this world and for everyone. And through this, we can encounter God in a new way, knowing more about his power and his ability to work in our lives. So I pray for all of us that we would seek out these encounters with God, that our hospitality would show our love for him, that we would be thinking and looking out and welcoming the stranger into our church family, into our lives, that they may know the knowledge and love of God for themselves too. And may how we act outside and inside of church be no different as we honour and worship God in all that we do. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.